And I acknowledge the Gadigal people, traditional custodians of the land on which we gather today, and pay my respects to Elders past and present, as well as any Indigenous people present or watching online today. I acknowledge the Sydney Institute and its long-standing commitment to the discussion of big ideas in Australia. As Jared said, I spoke here in 2012 on the topic of why inequality matters and what we should do about it. Returning a decade later, I'm even more convinced that inequality matters and that market power has something to do with it. Indeed, that market power is a critical part of the Australian economic story. It's hard to ignore the growing body of evidence that suggests that excessive market concentration can lead to economic problems. Dominant firms in the market might have less incentive to carry out research and development. They have less incentive to create new products. Indeed, in some cases, they may have less incentive to pay their employees fairly. As you can imagine, the drag on the economy only becomes stronger and deeper with each new concentrated market. The challenge for economists is to better understand the problems, and that means measuring them. Markups, which are the gap between production cost and selling price, are one of the most reliable indicators of the impacts of market power. Tonight I want to draw on new evidence to present analysis about what markups can tell us about competitiveness in the Australian economy. Now, concerns about market power aren't new. In fact, most people have a pretty good idea about these concepts, thanks in part to Lizzie McGee. If your nine-year-old has bankrupted you playing <coughs> Monopoly, you'd be familiar with Lizzie McGee's work. McGee grew up in the aftermath of the Civil War, when the so-called robber barons controlled much of the American economy. There was an era when monopolists such as Cornelius Vanderbilt, John D. Rockefeller and Andrew Carnegie loomed large. As the story goes, McGee's father introduced her to the ideas of economist Henry George. George sought to explain how extreme wealth could coexist with extreme poverty in 19th century America. Henry George argue, argued that monopoly ownership of land was to blame, and he proposed a land tax to lessen landowners' ability to extract wealth from renters. George's ideas struck a chord with Lizzie McGee, and she created the landlord's game, the very first version of what became monopoly. She designed the board game to serve as an interactive critique of market power. Her motive was clear. Show players how land-grabbing enriched property owners and impoverished tenants. In planting a seed for generations to come, McGee wrote, let the children once see clearly the gross injustice of our present land system. And when they grow up, if they're allowed to develop naturally, the evil will soon be remedied. During the Great Depression and following the removal of McGee's radical overtones, the board game Monopoly became a bestseller for Parker Brothers. 
In fact, the Parker brothers had to pay off McGee after she showed that her patent had been ripped off. She was paid $500, but never fully acknowledged as the game's creator. Yet another glaring inequity. Concerns about market power have been around for a while, but in the past decade, we've seen a huge increase in the number of important studies in this area. Let me catch you up on the measures and the methods, as well as some of the flaws and the findings. Concentration is the most frequent measure of market power because it only requires information on firm revenues. For example, a study that I co-authored with Adam Triggs in 2016 used Ibisworld data from a private market research firm to estimate market concentration. Market concentration tells us how much of a market the biggest players have, but it doesn't really tell you how much they're throwing their weight around. By contrast, markups, the gap between firms' production costs and what they charge their consumers, go more directly to the impact on consumers of concentrated markets. In that sense, markups are capturing the market power of firms, their ability to influence the price at which they sell their products. It's sort of easiest to see this at the extremes. If you've got thousands of companies selling a similar product, there's a going price. And that's what sellers charge. The market sets the price. At the other end of the extreme, when only one company sells a product, then they set the market price. That's the difference between market pricing and monopoly pricing. We know markups are a useful measure, but the challenge is getting the right data to measure them accurately. Ideally, economists would like to know each firm's marginal costs. Not surprisingly, most firms don't publish that information on their websites. So to get around this problem, economists have developed various ways to estimate markups. Robert Hall, in 1988, was the first to propose a method using accounting data and the assumption that firms minimise their costs in order to estimate markups. From 2012 onwards, Belgian economist Jan de Locker and his co-authors extended Robert Hall's method. They show how combining estimates of production functions, the way firms produce output from labour, capital and intermediate outputs, with the cost minimisation assumption, can eventually provide us with estimates of markups. And their work has led to an explosion of research in markups across the world. There are, however, some critics of the markups research. Susanto Basu and Steve Bond and his co-authors argue that some of the startling findings on steeply rising markups are difficult to reconcile. They say for the results to be equal, interpreted as equal to markups on prices over marginal costs, firms mustn't have market power over the inputs they use in production. For example, they point out that big firms might have the ability to influence the price they pay for labour, what Cambridge economist Joan Robinson once dubbed monopsony power. 
In response, Deloca and his co-authors agreed that the estimates might be biased by firms' market power over input markets. However, they say that in these instances, the markups estimates are also measuring firms' market power over the factors of production that they use. Susanto Basu also argues that the rising markup story doesn't fit the fact that the 2000s and the 2010s saw a tight labour market and subdued inflation. But the problem with that critique is that there's a huge number of factors influencing employment and prices over that period. You've got a global savings glut, China's economic rise, monetary policy. Uh, so it's easy to say that perhaps prices would have been lower if markups hadn't risen. And then we look at other macroeconomic trends which support the theory of increasing markups. We've had low business investment, high and persistent corporate profits, and a decline in the labour share of income. Ultimately, despite some concerns over the data, the DeLocca method of estimating markups provides us reasonable evidence that helps explain some pretty significant patterns in the data. So now to the findings. Researchers have used the DeLocca method to estimate markups in the United States and across the world. DeLocca, Eckert and Unger found average markups in the United States increased from 21% above marginal cost in 1980 to 61% above marginal cost in 2016. The authors found that markups increased the most for high markup firms and show that this is due to increased market power. The authors also show that high markup and highly profitable firms attracted a greater share of resources, a phenomenon closely linked with so-called superstar firms. As the name suggests, superstar firms are big and dominant in their industries. David Order and his co-authors showed in 2020 that in those industries with the largest growth of market share going to superstars also saw the steepest drop in the share of income going to workers. Markups haven't just been estimated for the United States. DeLocca and Eckert estimate markups for 70,000 firms in 134 countries. They found average markups increased globally from around 10% in 1980 to 60% in 2016. Again, this is driven by firms with already high markups, seeing the greatest estimated increase. And that's consistent with previous research showing greater dispersion of markups. In 2019, the International Monetary Fund also analysed approximately 900,000 firms in 27 countries and found an increase in markups from 2000 to 2015. Although, although not quite as big as DeLocker and Eckert estimated. Global evidence supports the increase in markups being partly linked to the rise in superstar firms and suggests that an increase in markups is partly responsible to the, for the decline in the labour share of income. The decline in the labour share worldwide appears to be driven primarily by a reallocation of resources to firms with a relatively low labour share of income. But the international results for DeLocca and Eckert should be treated with caution. Perhaps the data isn't fully representative. Uh, for example, the firms selected in Australia uh, before 2000 
tend to be quite narrow. And econometric estimates taken from the United States and applied to all firms worldwide is a relatively strong modelling assumption. So that leads me to analysis of markups in Australia and some observations in four significant areas. The first area is how Australia compares to other advanced economies. Groundbreaking research from Jonathan Hamber, who's just up the road, the Reserve Bank, and was formerly in Treasury, used Australian firm-level microdata to estimate markups. Taking on board one of the criticisms of the markups estimation literature, he focuses on the change in markups, not the level of markups. Jonathan's findings suggest industry average markups increased about 6% from 2003 to 2013, 2016. Interestingly, firms in the top 10% of the distribution of markups are the ones with the biggest market share. However, unlike in the United States, there's no evidence of reallocation of resources towards high markup firms. The second area of interest is technology. Changing technology might explain higher firm concentration and higher markups. Software and digital technologies often have increasing returns to scale, meaning outputs grow faster than inputs. That inherently offers bigger benefits to bigger firms. And that's particularly true for digital firms that have low marginal costs and operate in markets with strong network effects. Between 2003 and 2016, Markups for the most digitally intensive Australian firms rose 12% compared to 4% for other firms. These results suggest that changing technology played a role in increasing markups. It also shows that markups have increased for the less digitally intensive firms. So there must be other dynamics, like an increase in market power, that are important. The third observation is how the findings on markups relate to the broader challenges facing the Australian economy. The evidence from markups aligns with other evidence suggesting competitive pressure in the Australian economy has declined. The period from 2005 to 2009 to 2010 to 19 saw a decline in market dynamism across a host of measures. Firm entry and exit rates have declined. Australia is not growing as many small businesses as we used to. There's a lower share of employees working at young firms. Job mobility has declined, which matters because the biggest pay rises people get over the course of their career tend to be when they switch jobs. And at the same time, the largest firms have increased their market share. One of the measures we use is the Herfindahl Index of Market Concentration, which has gone up substantially over this period. <coughs> Declining dynamism in the product and the labour markets have occurred simultaneously. And there's even some evidence of a correlation across sectors. For example, if you look at where job mobility rates have dropped more, that's in sectors where the share of young firms has seen the greatest declines. Industries with less young firms are also industries with less job switching, with all the productivity and earnings benefits it brings. 
And what about when it comes to market concentration and markups? When I plot industry level changes in concentration against industry level changes in markups, I can see an upward slope. So from 2003 to 2016, the industries that saw the greatest consistent annual increase in concentration also saw bigger increases in markups. And the fitted line is statistically significant at the 10% level. So it provides not absolutely conclusive evidence, but pretty suggestive evidence of a link between the growth in markups and the growth in market concentration. That's consistent with findings from the new think tank E61, which suggests that more dynamic markets would benefit workers. That's partly because of higher rates of new firm creation and labour mobility raise the value of workers' outside options. So like other advanced nations, markups in Australia have increased since the turn of the century. Australia's uh, most digitally intensive industries increased markups the most. Australian industries with the greatest increase in concentration also recorded the greatest increase in markups. And before I wrap up, I want to acknowledge the Treasury officials for both the research drawn on in this presentation and more broadly. Treasury's published papers on Australia's productivity challenges in the latest edition of the department's in-house journal, Economic Roundup. The work by Zach Doretto, Omar Majid, Jonathan Hambo, Iris Day and Patrick Hardigan draws impressively on the data-crunching prowess of the Australian Treasury. Outside central banks, it's actually pretty unusual to have a government agency producing so much cutting-edge research. And that's a credit in turn to Stephen Kennedy, the Treasury Secretary, and his willingness to invest in the infrastructure and personnel that have led this work in such a critical area. So studying markups can tell us a lot about the competitiveness of the Australian economy. They can tell us about the way in which market dynamism uh, co correlates across product and labour markets, and the way in which concentration and markups go together. The challenge is big, but I'm actually pretty optimistic about the path ahead. There's no straightforward solution. It's not like when you're playing Lizzie McGee's Monopoly and you can suddenly get a get-out-of-jail-free card. It's not like getting a chance card that lets you advance to go and collect $200. But Australia does have a chance to boost productivity, which is the key to increasing living standards in the long run. It's terrific to see a renewed focus on productivity from people across the community, from policy makers to researchers to business leaders. The Jobs and Skills Summit sparked many of these conversations. And productivity and wages will feature in the employment white paper to follow. Uh, the ACCC's new digital platform services inquiry focused on the way in which competition reforms could boost productivity in that critical sector. And in the meantime, I welcome debate on markups, the malign markers for the Australian macroeconomy. And I look forward to returning to the Sydney Institute. Uh, in uh, a decade's time <laughs> to discuss the more dynamic and more competitive Australian economy of 2032. <laughs> Thanks very much.